Sego, Sewagwego. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to our Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, focusing on Haudenosaunee cultural topics recorded on Haudenosaunee territory. Our podcasts are produced by Aboriginal Legal Services with the technical assistance of Humble Man Recording. My name is Lisa Venevery from the Mohawk Nation and the Wolf Clan. I'm the coordinator of the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name program and the host of this podcast. Welcome to the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word Donate, located at the top of the homepage of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada. This is the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. Welcome to today's podcast, this episode of Yohatde Negasuna, The Road to Your Name. And today we have our guest, a returning guest, Elion Yayas Hearn from Akwesasne, the community of Akwesasne. And um, uh, Elion Yayas has been with us on this season um, a couple times. He started out speaking with us um, and sharing his knowledge about birth. And then in another episode, um, we talked about um, young adulthood and we talked about marriage. And so in this episode, we're going to carry on with that theme. And Alian Hayes is going to share with us his knowledge about um, parenthood. I guess we'll start there, right? Let's start with parenthood. Yeah, so it was it was pretty like following along the lines of all the things that we already covered and using the example of um, baskets or the symbolism of our baskets. So starting from all the stages of development, looking right back to like being in the womb, uh, being inside of our mother's as a basket and then moving to children's basket or tooth basket. Then a personal basket, looking at like going into your adulthood. And then once we exchange those baskets when it when it becomes adulthood um, and then we find our partners so you would exchange that basket as in the marriage ceremony with whoever your partner that's chosen for you or who you chose who you choose um, then it then it moves from personal baskets to a family basket so then it gets bigger so now you need room for diapers and bottles and um, kids snacks and toys and all those things so now you're carrying a much bigger responsibility. But also there's teachings that go with that basket too of the family basket because now you're not only responsible for you yourself and your partner's basket, now you're responsible for your children's. So this starts to go into in our teachings of when a child is first coming up, 
we we carry they say we carry their name um, or we carry their spirit we carry them so that's like symbolism right of the responsibility of carrying our children and also I guess another symbolism of a basket or the idea of a basket is a bundle so in our language we always reference things as bundles or as our children as bundles and the reason why we say that is because when the babies are small they're in they're in a bundle right and they're supposed to be wrapped in a uh, cradle board so that idea you're always supposed to be carrying your children you're never supposed to put them on the ground um, they're always supposed to be propped up somewhere and in, in the old a lot of the old pictures of the old timers they would even hang their cradle boards on the wall somewhere and then do their chores or whatever and their children would be sleeping in the in a cradle board mm -hmm. but that all has to do with children are still spiritual beings and that's why they don't what I was told is that they're not supposed to touch the earth until they're one years old. And there are there are nations today I know who still um, conduct a real special um, ceremony that has to do with their one year birthday. And I know the Crees, a lot of the Cree people from up north, they call it a walking out ceremony. And I, I believe like us as Haudenosaunee, we would have had something like that too. Because we, we believe the same thing. But we don't necessarily, I've never really seen in Haudenosaunee ceremonies of, you know, a one-year ceremony, but I know the Crees have it. So it was pretty interesting when I saw that, because they say for the Crees, that's the first time they touch the ground, and now they become like a, a physical, earthly being now. So same for us, right? We believe the same thing. So there's a lot of, and I think it's kind of interesting because we, we're not so ceremonial anymore. We're not so like, I don't know what you call it. Um, we're, we're not as... Uh, living that lifestyle anymore, right, that we used to. We've mm -hmm. moved into a more modern lifestyle. So a lot of the things that we look at today that would have been teachings a long time ago, it's like they're old wives' tales. We always say it's an old wives' tale. But those are really teachings that, you know, where people carried and shared, and there was reasons why we did that. So the big one with children is the cradle board and keeping them off the ground for that first year. They're always supposed to be held. Now that goes into even our creation story of, when the creator was left, he was abandoned by his brother and his grandmother. He went through his own abandonment and loneliness and neglect. And so that's a part of that, why we hold on to our children so tight, right? Because if they're feeling that as a spiritual being, they might not want to stay here. So that's a big thing for parents. So part of that responsibility goes with the creator board, protecting our children, making them feel loved constantly making them feel um, a part of the family, whatever we're doing, right? That's why we keep them close to us. Because whatever we're doing, you could be scrubbing the floors or doing the dishes, you want them right there with you. So that's about inclusion, but also so they don't feel lost and they feel really a part of the family. They're not left somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. Left sitting in front of the TV or <laughs> left <laughs> on the couch with the mm -hmm. iPad or the iPhone, right? Yeah. Um, they're supposed to be right next to us. Uh -huh. So... That's all part of that, even going back and looking at the stories in creation. So that all comes with, again, the parts of creative board teachings. Then we look at the family baskets. So once a child now starts to move into, from that time of being on the creative board, now they're starting to be toddlers, move around more. They say that those children, they start to pick things up. Now this is this is like literally, right? Kids pick things off the ground or pick pick things off the floor and put it in their mouth right away. And they say not only that, but also they pick up medicine. 
So those medicines could be songs, they could be ceremonies, they could be dances, um, they could be physical medicines, whatever it is, now that becomes the responsibility of the parents. So if it's a society, like I said, if it's medicine, if it's a dance that they got to do, or foods, whatever it is, now that becomes the responsibility of the parents. So it's a big thing, right? It's a big thing that comes with becoming a father, becoming a mother, becoming a parent, is that now you carry the extra responsibility of not just your, what we said, like in the exchange of the marriage baskets, we talked about the exchange of your personalities, your love, your caring, your medicine, all of that stuff. Now it's not just you and your partners, but now it's your families, your children's. So now all of that starts to go into the family basket. And we look at, there's even certain medicines that become family medicines too, or family ceremonies that need to be done. So all of that becomes the responsibility of the parents. And it's not to say, oh, that's mother or that's father. It's both, like it's both of them, because they share in all of those things. So it's pretty neat how that teaching follows that same line all the way through about baskets and why baskets are such a big part of Fudinusurani culture. Yeah. Um, so it goes right into now parenthood, um, becoming parents, and starting to cultivate what, what lives our children will lead or, what, or cultivate what, what they're meant to become, right? So all of that goes in there too. And then eventually the process starts over. So now you start to build your child's personal basket. You start to put things into theirs. But, but originally, it comes from the family basket. And also what comes with the family basket is the clan, because that's where your clan would come from, your mother's side, your mother's basket, and then your name. So that comes from there too. And so that gets referenced a lot in the ceremonies too when we talk about naming, clan system, all of that stuff, even the laws. They always say it comes from the woman's basket. So a lot of different things like that that get referenced or symbolic of you know, what our teachings say or, or how we're supposed to raise our kids. So, um, yeah, so that's... Uh, so, culturally, I've heard this, that culturally, we look at our children as um, vessels. And I think even the word that's in the language translates to something like a vessel. Mm -hmm. and, and with a vessel, we like fill them up. Yep. throughout their lives. Yep. So, and it's interesting too because you kind of hear different things. Like I also heard that children, they're really elders. They're really like old people. And when we talk to kids, we're supposed to call them Daksutta or my grandmother or my grandfather, right? Because yeah. they're really like an old spirit that's starting over again or that's come back to this world. Yeah. So that's why when you see a child, right? And they're just so happy and they just connect or they see things a certain way it's so beautiful to us because it's like that life it, even though it's starting over it's really old life too yeah. and they always say that too that um, that's why when we speak the language to the kids even if they're not from a fluent family when you speak to them they understand and, and they light up when they hear that language yeah. no matter which one it is right they they really connect through that so as far as um, the vessel too I guess that's kind of the same idea as the bundle because mm -hmm. in our language, we say o'tnohkwa. O'tnohkwa is like a bundle. Um, so I guess that could be the same as a vessel. Uh, and it, But I, but I kind of see women more as the vessel, right? Like, 
women are the ones who bring, who are the vessel of life that bring, bring life to this world. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, it could be the same idea too as for children. Like, I was just a, reading this about um, in the Navajo um, way of of doing things. There, in their society, it's always really important to make the baby laugh for the first time. <laughs> and whoever does that in the family, like they're really important. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after the after I guess we we can we continue to fill up our children's baskets, um, then what? Where do we move to next? So the next transition. So now being a parent, who however many years that is, right? Um, then eventually you start to pass that on, and your children start to go through that same process of becoming adults and then getting their personal basket and then eventually becoming parents themselves so that would make you grandpa or grandma or duda or you know daksuta whatever whatever wording that you use so in that point now you become elder elder level or they say now you become the grandparent or like the elder or knowledge keeper so that also comes with its own process or bundle or comes with its own baskets too so one thing that I see is, a lot of times in families, those family baskets get passed down. So once your eldest daughter now starts to have children, you she takes on her mother's basket now, the family basket, because now she's starting her own family. And a lot of the times, the elders can either get a new basket, that's just now the responsibilities of the elder, that could be now the names, that could be now becoming leadership, that could mean being a faith keeper or a yagoyane, a clan mother, or a loyane, a chief, whatever it is, right? So now it's like picking up that new responsibilities. But also, I've seen it where they take back their personal basket too. Now they start to continue with that. Because it's like, there's to me, there's like a misconception with parenting because a lot of parents will say, my whole life is my children. Everything I do is for my kids. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of not a healthy approach to parenting because now your kids believe that they run everything, you know, mm-hmm. and they grow up thinking that everything revolves around them. Mm-hmm. And also, when you look at a relationship, if in that relationship you've done everything for the kids, what happens when your kids leave? What happens when they grow up? Where's mm-hmm. that relationship left? It's like almost yeah. like left empty. Yeah. Because the kids were always feeling that. So that's why I like that idea of now you pick up that personal basket. You never stopped feeling that for yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, when the kids are older and they're gone, they're on their own or they got their own families, now you continue with that. You continue adding things there. You continue with the things you always had, right? And mm-hmm. what made you who you were. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean. Like, um, it's like following in that same line. So from the time of now you become elder and you start living those responsibilities, maybe helping with the family, (coughs) maybe helping with the family or, you know, starting to go more into the community, um, becoming like a community helper, whatever it is. Then when you come to your end of your time now, end of your life, oh, and actually there is another level of this. I know it comes for a woman 
-hmm. It talks more about a woman. But I suppose it could be the same for men. Because there's all these processes that we go through now as for moving from manhood or men um, into elderhood. For men, they talk about the acrostic or even the snow snakes. And it was a real sad thing. And actually, the first time I had seen this done, it made me cry because this man I had known who was a real, real uh, influence on me and was a real like, um, good teacher of mine, real well-known lacrosse player in our community. Um, he went through this thing where he became like, he couldn't play anymore. And they did this big ceremony for him. And he took his sticks and he hung it on the wall. And they were wooden sticks from like psh, the 60s. And it was a real sad thing, right? Because mm -hmm. that was who he was. Like that was always who he was and everything he did. Mm -hmm. And for him to have to do that, that was a big thing for a man, right? Like, now it's saying that I, I can't do this no more. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean he's not a part of the game anymore. It's just like he's making that decision for himself. Mm -hmm. So I think for men, it's, it's mostly physical. Like the physical things that start to bother us that we can't do anymore, that we once could. Whether that be hunting or snow snake game or lacrosse or, you know, usually it's physical or sports. Mm-hmm. So for women, theirs is the transition from birth-giving years now into, you know, being an, an elder woman that maybe loses that birth-giving abilities or mm -hmm. loses her moon time. Or even, you know, most women get a hysterectomy now when they get to that age of elderhood. Mm -hmm. And that comes with a lot of transition. It comes with a lot of hormones and emotions and loss and emptiness. Now, I haven't learned... I haven't learned a lot yet about that process, but I know there's ceremonies there, similar to you know what would be done for birth and all of that. Yeah. Um, there would be things done. I just haven't done enough learning and research about it. And it's always a it's always like a a responsibility of the women anyway. So I don't try to meddle or ask too many questions about it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to be disrespectful, <laughs> right? So, but I do know that there's a process for that, and I'm willing to bet that there is a basket too and that would you know all of that birth giving abilities or whatever is shed or taken out right it would go back to the earth and now and this is where so in our teachings right there's a lot of stipulations about a woman when she's on her moon time about yeah. medicines and cooking and all that kind of stuff to me it's not it's not because moon time is bad or woman is bad it's just you're you're in a different place you're in a different space during that time and you're like honoring your body or you're being honored as a spiritual being when you're on your moon time. Mm -hmm. So to me, what that means now, when a woman moves from out of that time and no longer has her moon time, now you're free. Now you're free to do all those things that need to get done. There's more responsibility that comes. Yeah. Ceremonial responsibility because now you don't have that blocking you, right? You don't mm -hmm. have that earthliness of shedding your or having your moon every month. Yeah. So to me, that's like a, a, an honor too, because now you become more of a spiritual conductor, spirit or ceremonial person, because now you're open for that. So even in that transition, that might be really hard, or that might be something that's really um, you know difficult or emotional. There's still honor in that, because yeah. now you're moving into your next phase of you're going to be more ceremonial now. You can cook the ceremonial foods. You don't have to worry about your moon. You can be at the all the meetings or all the ceremonies without any stipulation. Mm -hmm. So that's a big honor, right? So 
and I know, and I do know that there's a ceremony with that. I just haven't learned too much about it yet. So then, the very last, I guess you say, transition or basket is at the very end. Then we we pass away. Uh, we leave this earth. We complete our number of days that we've had here. And then our final, you could say bundle, or our final basket, is like the coffin. Now, a lot of the times, in old, in old days, we didn't really have coffins. That's like a newer thing. We had, um, we would be laid out on a cradle board. And to me, that was always beautiful when I seen it. And it's kind of rare in Akwazasne for us, when somebody passes, that they actually use cradle board. Mm -hmm. But it's really beautiful when that happens. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the more recent funerals that I had done, or I was a part of um, conducting, this woman was one of the clan mothers back home. And it was beautiful. Like, we, we came into the longhouse. She was wrapped in a beautiful bearskin rug. Mm -hmm. And she was on a cradle board. She looked like a 80-year-old baby. Like, <laughs> But it was beautiful, right? Yeah. Like She looked like that little peaceful baby again. And then when we laid her on the ground... They put her in a box. It wasn't really a coffin. They just put her in a box and they covered her up. Mm -hmm. And it was just beautiful. Like It's like her life came full circle, right? Yeah. From when she was born on a cradle board, now she was buried in a cradle board. So it was just this beautiful transition back into being a spiritual being again. Yeah. And making that journey back to Crater's Land. Mm -hmm. So to me, like all of that, like looking at the whole big picture of the symbolism of baskets or bundles or you know, these really, really precious things that we carry, there's so much more to it than just, um, you know, fancy fancy items that we use for our shelves or even ceremonial, like put tobacco in. It's so much more than that. It's ingrained right into our being and into our culture and into our lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just, there's so much that goes into that. Can you talk a little bit about... Um the the concept that we're taught in in Haudenosaunee culture about death in in that it's not nothing to be feared. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, looking at again, and this was something that was interesting to me too because I had done uh, teachings with a couple of. Um, elder gentlemen or the ones that I call my uncles or my teachers and they were talking about our artistry right our artwork our fashion our symbols all of that mm -hmm. stuff and one of the big things that they talk about is transition mm -hmm. so everywhere is like in the old pictures or in the old artistry you always see the transition is emphasized so when you look on our ribbon shirts right see on the cuffs or certain areas where uh, usually on the bottom of shirts or, or skirts there's ribbons yeah. we always emphasize the transition because every transition is like a ceremony every transition is like a celebration so the reason why that's like that is because we know there is a transition between one world to another world whether that be sky world or heaven or whatever you want to call it um, over to physical over to the earth world and that's constantly happen, happening through our lives. So when it comes to death, it's the same thing. It's not looked at as the end or, or the finish or the completion of anything. It's just the next transition. Mm -hmm. And then, which was pretty incredible um, when I was learning like more about spirituality and death, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about even after we pass, there's different levels, even to the sky world. And you can achieve or you can, I don't know what you call um excel or you can, I don't know what other word to use, but it's like you could pass on to the next level even in sky world. So even that, like thinking, okay, well, there's a lot more to to life than death, and there's even a lot more to death than there even is to death. There's more levels to it. So it's like, it's like life doesn't really end; it just transitions. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was really beautiful because it's like, okay, well, this is ending now, like me being here, but there's so mu- so much more that's going to happen. There's so much more that's going to come. So. And I know, like, the influence of church and the Bible, right? It's like this end of days and damnation and your sin and and making things right. And so it was always a real scary thing. And even for me growing up, right, it was always so scary, like, mm-hmm. oh, and death is coming, it's, it's the end of all ends. But when I started learning more about the culture, it's like, no, it's just the next phase. It's just the next area that we're going through. Mm-hmm. And one real beautiful concept in the language, um, whenever we even talk about someone who's passed on, there's this expression that we use. And we say, And what that means is, it doesn't mean deceased, it doesn't mean they're, they're, they're dead or they're finished. What it means is, they've passed on before us. The mm-hmm. ones who have gone on before us. Or they say, the ones who have arrived before us. And I always thought that was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's not like your loved one is gone for all eternity. They just went on before you. Mm-hmm. And it was so comforting in the language to hear that, right? So when we do funerals, that's why we talk about that so much. And we use that expression a lot. Just to help families understand that this isn't the end. It's just they've transitioned before you. Mm-hmm. And it's just so beautiful to imagine that, right? And that, and I think another concept in the in the cultural teachings that is so um, comforting is that we don't need to worry about how much time we're here in the physical world because Segoya Diso has already done that for us. Yeah, absolutely. And we don't know, right? Like, that's the thing, that's the beauty of not knowing is that that's what makes life precious Mm -hmm. um, is that we don't know when our day is finished. It could be tomorrow, it could be in 30 years from now, we really don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're supposed to try to live every day the best that we can. And, you know, do our best with our families. Love them and express that love as much as possible because we don't know when, when our time is done. And that's a, that's a, I don't know, that's just a beautiful thing, right? Mm-hmm. Every day you look outside like, man, I could be, I could not be here right now. So you start to see the world like really, really beautiful in that way. It's just to say... um that's why we're supposed to be grateful for every day that we have here. And um, and do the Thanksgiving address every Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much. Um, there's so much difference in worldview um, philosophies on on death, and it's interesting about how other cultures view it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I really, I really like that in in the Haudenosaunee culture about the um, transitioning, and um, you say that it's the thing. How do you say it in the language where it's a, the thin, thin, thinnest of a leaf? 
Yeah, so the thickness of a leaf, they say, is the, the line between physical and spiritual, mm -hmm. or life and death. So that's like, we look at that two ways, right? So it's like they're saying that one interpretation is that our loved ones are that close to us. So after like our grandmothers or our parents pass away, they say that they're still that close to us. They're only the thickness of a leaf away. And that really helped me, like, in the loved ones that I've lost, is thinking that they're still there. I just can't see them and, um, you know, hug them or anything like that. But they're right there. They're watching us and they're helping us still. And then the other interpretation of that is our lives are so fragile um, that we could pass at any time, at any moment we could be done. And that's why life is so precious. Because anything, right? There's so many things that could end us right now or tomorrow or in a day from now there's so many things so it's like beautiful that we're still here that we're still living and same thing like through all this COVID stuff like we're still living the ones who's here mm -hmm. and we still have a lot to be grateful for I know we like to complain <laughs> we like to complain about how hard it is to travel or whatever but we're still here and we're still lucky to be alive and we're still lucky to be to have the things that we have so that's all part of you know, our mindset and our our ideals or idealism of Haudenosaunee culture, the way we're supposed to think about our lives. Well, in, in contemporary times today, I know one of the, um, the main concerns people have is grief. Some people, like, they just have a hard time with grief and... Um, like, I don't know if, uh, even if to say getting over it, maybe we don't get over it. Maybe we just um, cope with it better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have peace with it. So can you talk a little bit about that and in the cultural teaching of not to dwell on um, death yeah, grief? So, so the way that I put it, the way I, I've learned it and the way I try to put it to people or help people to understand is that we're not meant to let go of a person. See, that's the misunderstanding, right? Is people think, well, my dad died, so I gotta let him go. That's, that's, not, that's not possible, that's unreasonable. Because you loved your father, you loved him. With every part of your being, with even the things he messed up on or whatever, you still loved him. So how do you expect to let him go? That's, see, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. The part that I, explain to people is that you're only meant to let go of the death of him that's the peace that we gotta let go of not him not his life you only let go of the death and that changes it that changes it completely because we that's what we dwell on we dwell on the pain we hold on to the pain we hold on to the suffering we hold on to the bad feelings the crying the hurt that's what we hold on to but that's not really what was meant for, for us to hold on to. We're meant to hold on to the life of that person. So to me, that's, that's, a, that's the way I try to look at it and understand it is that, okay, we have a process for grief. We have phases or what do you, I don't know what you call, stages of grief. Mm -hmm. um, we allow for, like we allow people to suffer. But eventually, eventually, you let go of that grief, you let go of the death, and you hold on to the life of that person. Thinking about their life really helps us because then we start to think more positively. We start to think more 
with gratitude that this person was alive, rather than it's horrible because they're gone now. So that's and that's um, that's really what we, where we come from. Our own death and Hutanushoni thinking is that okay? How do we have peace with this? How do we have peace with losing somebody like a father? Is because I know he gave me so much with his life. Because I know every day he loved me or tried to love me the best he could. He was the best man he could be. And that's what brought me peace. Now, that challenge though, right? The real challenge today is because a lot of us don't have healthy fathers. And I'm just using fathers as an example. So it could be grandpa, it could be mother. But when you don't have a healthy relationship with that person, or that person was not a healthy person, now it makes it that much more difficult to let go of the death, but also to have peace with their life. Because mm -hmm. you didn't have peace with their life. How are you going to have peace with their death? Mm -hmm. So that's what makes it a challenge. And that's why it's encouraged, even in the culture, to make things right. Make things right with people. Even if, even if uh, you're not best friends, even if you don't talk to them, you don't have to talk to them to make things right. You don't have to, I don't know, be you know 100%. But making things right is important because that's how we have peace with things. Yeah. And that's why in the great law, right, everybody talks about peace, peace this, peace that. But it's more than just not fighting, right? Peace is really having peace with all the things in your life. So that way, if ever there's death or ever there's grief, it's not going to be overwhelming. It's going to hurt. You're going to suffer, but it's not going to be added on to that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so to me, it's more about not letting go of things, more having peace with it. Having peace with the lives that they led, having peace with that death, too. So mm -hmm. that's the way I look at it. And I use that peace a lot. Even for trauma, even for abuse, even for abandonment, all those things that people suffer through, I say the same thing, like, that, that's kind of made you who you are now. Those things that we go through, eventually it becomes a part of us. And it's hard to think about letting that go. But So I change it for people and I say, well, instead of letting it go, how about you have peace with it? And how do you have peace with that? Um, thinking of like a woman who might have been molested when she was younger, right? How do you have peace with something like that? Well, maybe, maybe that woman or that little girl who was molested, maybe she grew up and she started um, a program for young girls, right? Or maybe, maybe that, the reason that she went or her going through that made her a good mother where she protected her daughters. Or maybe she protected her nieces or maybe she pr protected her community because of what she went through. See, now that brings peace. Mm -hmm. Even though that's an awful, horrible, terrible thing, that's how we have peace with it is how do we use that in a good way, the things that we went through, even the bad things. Mm -hmm. We change it into something good. Mm -hmm. But that, that's difficult, right? Because we like to sit in that too. And it takes a long time. And, and I don't think really anybody can do that themselves. You have to have help with that. You have to have somebody that can walk you through that process of coming to, coming to peace with the things that we've been through. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. That's probably, I don't know, the way I see it is like, that's probably the hardest thing for anyone to go through in their, in their life is to come to peace with all that stuff. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not easy. 
So it's comforting, though, to know that we have we've we were given these coping teachings in since we came here to this earth, and then with the interruption of the the um, colonization and all of those things that that um, handed over this trauma to us as people. Now we really need to go back to those teachings and and make them make them embrace them again. Yeah. So that they can help us. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of been my whole life's journey is finding those things, right? Not at first it was for myself trying to figure out why I felt the way I felt or why I was going through the things I went through. And it seemed as if Everything I suffered, everything I found in my life that was negative, there was a solution for it. There was something somewhere. There was a teaching, there was a ceremony, there was a song, there was a medicine, there was everything, everything that I could think of. And so it just like drew me in and I says, well, other people need to know about this. Mm-hmm. Our own people need to know more about the things that's there for them, the things that's available if you're suffering, the things that can help you. I don't know, it's probably not a good idea that a lot of those things be mainstream, (laughs) just Mm -hmm. for, you know, just because of the way mainstream works, but Mm -hmm. at least for our own people to know, like, there's something out there for you. Mm -hmm. There's something that can pull you out of that, whatever you're going through, no matter what it is. And that that is real comforting. That's beautiful to think that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something for everyone. Because we didn't have um, pharmacies like mm-hmm. they do today to go and get a get a, some pills for something, yeah. um, we did have natural medicines for things, and we yep. did have, and we still do yeah. have these things yeah. and um, medicine societies. Yeah, for sure to help us. It's funny, like, cause I, cause I still learn, right? And I'm still asking questions and. Um, I'm still young, like I'm still learning all kinds of things and, you know, looking at all of the stuff that I've picked up so far, like looking at medicines for depression or ceremonies for depression, uh, medicines for anger, medicines for um, loneliness, medicines for abandonment, ceremonies for, you know, grief and loss and death, but even, um, even like obscure things like... Um, um, chronic illness, um, cancer, like all these things, right? Um, and then recently I found out that we even had a medicine for ADHD mm. and a ceremony for that. Mm-hmm. And I was blown away. Like I hadn't, I had, I just learned that probably in the last couple of weeks. And it was just amazing to think that we, we knew that much mm-hmm. um, about our behaviors, about our personalities, and that there's something there for it. So it just, it's like endless, right? It's like endless knowledge that we have. And um, yeah, I just, I just love doing this kind of work because you get to learn and connect with so many different things. I don't know if I'll ever see that ceremony, but it sounds pretty neat and it sounds pretty cool. And it's just amazing just to even know that, right? That we had something for that. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Well, 
I could sit here all day <laughs> and, <laughs> and just talk about these kind of things. Yeah. So I'm at the stage of I have my grandparent basket now. Mm-hmm. I'm carrying around my grandparent basket. And I'm, I find that, you know, at this stage of life, um, I feel even more responsibility than I felt when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. To, to have the answers for my family. Yeah. You know, and to have that knowledge. And I'm just wondering if grandparents out there um, feel the same as I do, you know? Like, um, like where, where can they get this knowledge? Because back then, every family had a knowledge keeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's not like that today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's difficult. So what do you suggest families can do? I think that I think that every family has a little pieces of that, right? So having gatherings or having groups or having times, you know, maybe once or twice a month to get together and just talk about that stuff um, and just have it open for anybody that wants to come and learn. I think that's that's a good place to start. It doesn't have to be somebody like a leader. It doesn't have to be like, um, you know, an official ceremonial keeper, knowledge keeper. Like anybody can be a knowledge keeper. So that's one big thing. Like I used, that was my favorite thing back home that we used to do before COVID was, we started having groups of just people get together and talk, like like you and I right now. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not me all sharing. Like everybody can share and everybody can talk about things that they learned or talk about things that they heard, and just kind of bring those things to light. And I think that's a real beautiful way to learn because I think even between nations or even between communities. It's like we all have a piece of the puzzle. Some communities have more ceremonies. Some communities have less. Some communities maybe do it a little different. And it's like we all have a piece to it. So why not share those things? Why not talk about it? And even within our communities, right? Like we all have little bits and pieces of what's there. And I think just for me right now, in this point in my life, I haven't reached that elder stage. So I'm not like, I'm only hearing little bits and pieces. I haven't studied it completely yet. But I know it's out there. I know there's plenty of understandings and and teachings and you know things that can help anybody. So if if there isn't somebody that knows it, just get together and have some discussions around the table and you know start bringing that up because mm-hmm. that's something that we don't do enough of in anyways, right? Yeah. Even before COVID, we don't do enough of just sitting and talking anymore. Visiting. Visiting. Yeah. And sharing and. You know, really, really connecting with each other as families or even just as community. Um, that's something that's starting to get lost. So I think that would really, really help a lot of people. Well, I think a good start is listening to the Yohate Negosuna podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Um, man, there was something I had thought of as, a, as we were talking and I think I've, I think I lost it now. Mm. But it's kind of funny. Like we started off, I says I wanted to do birth and marriage because I didn't want to talk about grief, and then we ended up back at grief anyways. <laughs> but it's just kind of inevitable, right? Because yeah. so many, it's just a universal thing, and yeah. And I think that our grief has kind of been heightened too um, because of the findings of the residential school, and and then going through COVID, and then just you know all kinds of things happening. Mm-hmm. in all of our communities so it's like it's a constant struggle and it's a constant thing that needs to be shared and talked about but I think it I think it goes hand in hand with life anyway so mm-hmm. it, it should be talked about so it's 
it's always good. It's always good to share about these things, and I'm sure I'll be back again too. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, uh, are you still doing zooms? Yeah, I'm yeah. still doing zooms. Oh good. Um, so I do that. Geez, sometimes two, three, four times a week. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always something going on. Places some to go get teachings or to come listen and learn. Um, and I'm always looking for zooms too. It's hard because, like, I don't get a lot of time for myself to learn because I'm so busy. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, I always appreciate when people will send me links or, you know, say that we got this going on and I'll try to jump on and listen. Because, um, like I said, we don't do that enough. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of talking, but I need to do some listening, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, for sure, we always have something going on, and I appreciate these chances to just come and share and, and talk and, you know, do what I can to help every, anybody around. Well, Nyawe, for joining us today on this podcast, Ali Unyayas, mm-hmm. I really appreciate um, your visits. <laughs> and, and, and we're winding up soon. We're going to be winding up season four. I can't even believe it. But um, season five is just around the corner, I know. <laughs> um, okay, so join us again on the next episode of Yohate Negasuna, the Road to Your Name podcast. Yahweh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast, which has been produced by Aboriginal Legal Services and hosted by me, Lisa Venevery. There are 10 episodes in this podcast series. Let's meet again on the next episode. This has been the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. If you would like to learn more about our organization, Aboriginal Legal Services, and the programs and services we provide, please visit us at our website, www.aboriginallegal.ca. And if you feel inclined and would like to make a donation, you can click on the word Donate, located at the top of the homepage of our newly updated website. You can also visit us on Facebook at Aboriginal Legal Services, Toronto, Canada. This has been the Yohate Negasuna, The Road to Your Name podcast series. Yeah.